Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Hey, folks, I'm Dr. Kira Banks. Welcome to Raising Equity. In today's diversity download, I want to talk about the fact that we can now say microaggressions. Now what? What comes next? And I think it's important to understand that the real work actually begins now, that we spent a lot of time in our workplaces and in our schools and different spaces, not uh, being willing to name when microaggressions happen because they can be so subtle. So you probably know what they mean. It's become a really mainstream conversation, even though it's a very academic term. But microaggressions are those subtle, unintentional or intentional, verbal or nonverbal insults, assaults. They're, They're these small cuts that can degrade or send some sort of negative negative or derogatory message about a group. And the researchers that study microaggressions talk about them being like a paper cut. That one paper cut, uncomfortable. A thousand, miserable. I think of like mosquito bites, one, yeah, it itches, it's annoying. But a thousand, I would be a mess. And so they talk about microaggressions being like death by a thousand paper cuts because they're so subtle and small, yet they are painful and they accumulate. And so while you might hear one example of a microaggression and say, oh, why are you being so sensitive? Just get over it. Think about if that's like the thousand times you've experienced that. So for example, folks of color have often experienced being assumed to be in a position of, of help in a space, a position of service in a space. So coming, going to an event and having someone hand you your car keys as if you are the valet when you're simply waiting for your car as well, or someone handing you their tray as if you are there to take their scraps and their trash or handing you their car you're there to take right these I, these ideas these experiences really they they can happen and there's no words there are no words that are that are exchanged but there's an experience that's painful and so one time you experience that you might okay it's that person stuff it's frustrating but the thousandth time you might get angry and you might have words for the person who did that unintentionally. It's not that that person said anything, but they did something that was really based in their assumptions and their negative, uh, their negative maybe stereotypes about who's in a position of service and who isn't. And so they are stuck in a rut and a stereotype and they acted on that, right? An example of a verbal microaggression, a common one that's often used is asking folks who are of Asian heritage or Latinx heritage, where are you from? And they might say where they're from and you don't accept that. You say, no, 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 no. Where are you from from? Or where are your people from? Which makes them feel like a perpetual foreigner in their own land. They just told you where they were from. Those are just a couple examples of microaggressions and there's plenty, but I want to give those because we are now in a space in many organizations where we're willing to say, hey, that's a microaggression. And it's subtle, but it's important for me to name. It's not a major macro aggression, a, a, a discriminatory event that is, is major in a sense, but it is important. So it doesn't mean that it's micro in terms of unimportant. It's that it's subtle. So we've gotten to a place where we can say, hey, this microaggression is happening. It's not making me feel comfortable. I don't appreciate you saying that or making this assumption. 
But now what? What do we do with that? Because we've been in workplaces and spaces where it wasn't okay to say something, where we weren't allowed to name it and mark the territory of the harm. And so what I'm seeing is a lot of organizations that are jumping on the bandwagon of saying, yeah, 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 we need to stop microaggressions but they don't know how or what to do when they happen. So one, we won't be able to stop all microaggressions. We need to be able to be willing to work through them and to be called out when we perpetrate them. But it's not reasonable to say that we will not have any occur. Just like we make mistakes, we want to be able to say we will work to not intentionally intentionally perpetrate microaggressions. But we need to accept that they're going to happen and then get a game plan. So what does it look like to to create an environment that can hold microaggressions? Well, one, it means that we have to be willing to be open to feedback, that defensiveness cannot outweigh our openness to feedback. And that takes practice. Many of us have been in spaces where historically, if a microaggression happened, It would have just been allowed to float, fly, however you want to see it, let it lie, right? So when it gets named, whether we're the perpetrator or the target of the microaggression or a bystander, it's going to be new that we're willing to name it and willing to to say we want to do something about it. I'll do a quick aside to say the way to respond to microaggressions, there isn't one way. And so we need to realize that we're creating a space and environment where people can name what's happening and talk about it, but it's not as if there needs to be an exact kind of protocol of when it said, this is what happens. I have seen organizations do things like, well, maybe we use the oops and ouch framework. So we hear a microaggression, we say, ouch, and that gives the person who perpetrated the microaggression to say, oops, if they understand what they've said. And if not, maybe a conversation ensues. I worked with another organization that decided they were going to do kind of like a flag on the play, like a yellow, uh, yellow three by five index card to put on the table to just slow things down to, to say, Hey, there's something that I want us to slow down and talk about, or just note, and then have a conversation. I noted this. Do we want to talk about it now? Or should we set a time to talk about it later? It's not necessary every time you hear a microaggression to feel like you have to get on a soapbox and give someone a speech. It's not always productive. It's not always possible. It's not always safe because if you don't have an environment that can hold the conversation, what ends up happening is people get defensive, retaliation happens, and more harm can happen. And I share this because I am seeing a number of organizations try to to navigate how to hold when an individual or individuals come forward having experienced a microaggression, how do they hold that individual and the harm that they've experienced, hold the individual who's who's the perpetrator accountable? And it varies if that person even is aware that they perpetrated the microaggression or not. Um, And how do they do that in a way that, that takes care of everyone in that environment and space? So you can hold someone accountable and still be taking care of them. That doesn't mean you let people off the hook, right? And that's the work. So I was being flippant and saying, okay, we can say microaggressions. Now what? But I'm serious. We need to think about what is the infrastructure? What are the mechanisms that people can use to share what they're experiencing? And I think you need multiple mechanisms. So it might be that there's an anonymous box, literal in some places, or maybe virtual, like a digital Google form or something that allows people to share what they're experiencing. Because 
sometimes for some people, they don't want something done right now, but they want to just mark, hey, this happened. And then who's going to be responsible for seeing if there's a pattern? So in some organizations, uh, people will experience something with, with someone maybe in a position of power. They're scared to say something. But if they know that there's a portal where they can share their experience and they know they can trust that someone is looking at these experiences, they might they might be more willing to say something because should multiple people share a similar experience with the person and it's an it's an organization that's serious about really doing something about the microaggression, you can trust, you know what, there's going to be a conversation with this person. It's going to be brought to their attention. And this is all anonymous sharing that happens, right? So maybe there's a mechanism that's anonymous. I also think you should think about a mechanism that's informal, but formal, and then one that is more formal, like HR type intervention to support, to mediate, to give folks support in navigating a, uh, a microaggressive event, but something in between. And so maybe like a consultative role that there's someone who's like an umsbuds person who can help manage a conversation, maybe even a restorative justice practice. If the person is is willing to share the harm that's been, that's happened to them and the way it's impacted them and a perpetrator's willing to share um, their accountability statement of, of the harm that they perpetrated, understanding that intent does not equal impact, right? So there's some opportunity at times to, to take a more informal uh, resolution to a microaggression. And I want us to to be rigorous about this because this is new. This idea of we're naming and we're navigating microaggressions is new and it's time for us to develop the necessary competencies. And so I think, as I mentioned, that means we need to practice non-defensiveness and being open to feedback. And we need to figure out the multiple mechanisms that, that people can share their experiences and report their experiences and how we can hold hold them in navigating an experience of a microaggression and in navigating being called out or as a perpetrator of a microaggression. Because both of those are new roles that people are playing inside organizations. It's not that these are new in our world, but to navigate them inside an organization, inside a formal structure is new. So I'm not going to say that it's easy as I support a number of organizations setting up these structures. It's not, but we can do hard things and we can do hard things for the sake of having more inclusive and equitable spaces that it's not fair to continue to have the burden of microaggressions be on those who are most impacted, those who experience them. We've been there. We've done that. It's not fair. It doesn't work uh, in the long run. And so there's no like going back to the way things were. We have to move through this and figure out how we support individuals. So now that we can say microaggressions, now what? That's the work. So hopefully this gave you some things to think about. Maybe you in your organizations, you're having some similar conversations. I'd love to hear your thoughts about how your organizations are navigating holding microaggressive experiences and incidents. What is that looking like in your world? Uh, you can find me on socials. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Kira Banks, Twitter at Kira Banks. Thanks for joining me on Raising Equity. <laughs>